you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew 12. <clears throat> I tell you what, it's a miracle that we got through that set. We coughed through the entire practice. It's allergy season, but we pushed back the demons of allergy, the demon <laughs> of pollen or whatever this time of season is, and uh, God was gracious to us. Although I still missed words. I've had people tell me, hey, you've done worse the last couple of weeks when your wife's not there to ground you. I just want you to know I still make mistakes when she's here too, so I'm consistent. I like to stay consistent. Are we on? Yeah. All right. Let's, Alex, let's go as loud as we can without um, it sounding like it's going to feedback. Just for some of our uh, saints say, sometimes it's hard to hear in here. So let's get it, let's make it as comfortable as we can for them. Um, so we're, we're going to finish up Matthew chapter 12 today. Mitch uh, last week preached from chapter 12, 15 through 37. Did a fantastic job. Um, I try not to let him or Tony preach too often around here because you guys will fire me and hire them. And so, uh, but I am so thankful that we have men that can stand in, on this stage and proclaim God's word. And um, I'm also thankful that we're, we're starting to build a team around here where church was never meant to be built on one person. All right, it's a team, it's a team. And so we want to make sure that when one's down, there's another one right there to take the place. And so I am, again, just grateful. Three years ago, I prayed for God to give us men um, that could lead in our church. And he's began to produce those men. And he didn't bring them from the outside. They were already here. We just needed to kind of have our eyes opened. And uh, so I'm thankful for them. So here we go. Um, so just kind of a quick summary of Matthew, if you are new with us this morning. Uh, we've been studying the book of Matthew for a while, and uh, if you keep coming, we're going to be in Matthew for a while. I think we started in January, and we've gotten to chapter 12, and uh, we don't want to get so bogged down. It's not about, hey, we, man, we, we're so spiritual. We've preached Matthew for three years. That's not what we're doing, but, but on every page of Scripture, there is things for us to gleam, and so we, we want to go as fast as God wants us to or as slow as He wants us to, and, and it just so happens that we're in chapter 12 still, and uh, we're going to finish up today. But one of the things that we've noticed from Matthew, who's the author of Matthew, he's just telling the, the story and the ministry of Jesus, is that Jesus shows up, and he starts doing things that nobody had ever seen anybody do before. And not just like doing miracles, but he's also saying some things with such authority and it, it was such a boldness that they've never heard anybody speak like him. There was something very peculiar about Jesus. And as a result, we, we're seeing it on every page. We saw it even last week in Mitch's sermon. The, the, the crowd, the people that are following Jesus, are, they're becoming more and more conflicted. Let me give you an example from last week. Mitch preached that the crowd that was around Jesus watched him heal another, I say another here because there's been some, another demon-possessed man. This was a man that the Bible says he was so demon-possessed that the demon had taken his tongue and his sight. He couldn't see and he couldn't hear, and it was because he was possessed by a demon. And Jesus heals him in front of everybody. And in a moment, he got his sight back and he got his words back. And the crowd is conflicted. You see this confliction in verse 23. It says, the crowd was amazed. And here's what they ask. Could it be? 
Could it be that Jesus is the one that we have been promised for years and years and years to come? Is it possible that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah? And in a room this size, I promise you, there are some people in this room today and you're looking into Jesus and you're looking into the life of his followers and you're wondering if he can offer you what you are needing. You're asking, you're kind of standing at the line asking, could it be, could it be that Jesus is the answer? Could it be that Jesus is the solution? to my problems. And the very next verse, it says they were conflicted. Could it be that Jesus, the very next verse, the Pharisees. Wow, don't you love the Pharisees? They say this, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. <laughs> In other words, the Pharisees are saying, Jesus isn't God. Jesus isn't from God. He's from Satan, and here, brothers and sisters, is the spiritual war that is going on in our daily lives. The powers of darkness deflecting from the glory of God and doing so through our fellow man. What we see on the surface here is Pharisees excusing away what the crowd had just seen Jesus do with their very own eyes. We see religion clashing with God's kingdom that is breaking through. We see Pharisees speaking against Jesus and planting doubt into the hearts of the conflicted and the curious. What we don't see is the spiritual war that is raging just below the surface of the physical. Good versus evil, light versus darkness, God versus the devil for the hearts of people. And people are the pawns. The Pharisees are pawns in the hand of Satan attempting to hold back God's rule and reign on earth. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians when he says, listen, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. And we'd push back, we'd argue with that. Like, yeah, I am. You don't know my in-laws. You don't know my neighbors, Right? You don't know my boss. Paul says, they're not your enemy. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against evil rulers and authorities of, of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Listen, this is just a reminder for us that our enemy is not our fellow man, but that our real enemy is spiritual wickedness that is influencing our fellow man. What you hate about your neighbor is the one ruling your neighbor, not your neighbor. It's also good for us to examine ourselves and ask, is there any area in our lives that we are deflecting from God's glory rather than reflecting God's glory? Are my words and deeds pulling others closer to the Messiah or are they pushing them farther away? Listen, Megan, she doesn't call you because you deflect God's glory. She called you because she knew that there's something you have that might just give her the answer to what she needed. She might not even know she needs Jesus yet, but she knows she needs Megan. And Megan said, hey, this is awesome. Megan gets to introduce her to the one that she really needs, the one that lives within Megan. 
And then I believe Jesus sums up last week's text well in verse 30 when he says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So here's, here's, here it is, church. We have to choose which side we're on <laughs> because we're either for Christ or against him. There is no neutrality here. You don't say, well, I'm just checking it out. I'm, 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 I'm not an enemy. I don't talk bad about God. If you're not for him, you're against him. Now, the good news for those who desire to be with Jesus and to work for him, our text today, I believe, lays out a clear and necessary steps or requirements in crossing the line of faith and joining God's family. And by the way, when you become saved, that's what you're joining you're joining God's family. When you choose Jesus, you are choosing God's family. And when we have been given the opportunity to choose Jesus, it's only because he has first chosen us. I love this. Listen, Galatians 4 says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman sub subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians, right? One, before the foundations of the world, right? He chose, he loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy. And without fault, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. The church is the family of God. And of course, not everyone who attends church is the church, right? Chances are not everyone present here today is in the family of God. We're glad that you're here. You are welcome here, but there is something better for you than here. There's something better for you than just attending church. Well, attending church makes me feel good. Well, attending church doesn't save you. Jesus is the only one that can save you, right? We are glad that you are here, but there is something better for you than just be attending here. God wants you to be the church. So God is inviting you into his family. It's as if we, just like the crowd last week, are standing at the line asking, could it be? Could it be that Jesus is the one I've been looking for? Could it be that Jesus is the one that I need? And we pray today that you find out. We've been praying that there's some here today that are leaning in asking, could it be? And today you get your answer. Yes. Yes, it is. Our text today reveals the answer to this question, what must I do to be saved? So let's look at it. We're going to look at just the rest of this chapter together. We're going to see some requirements. Let's see if we can't find them starting in verse 38. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. That should read, we want you to show us another miraculous sign. Because since Jesus come off the mountain in Matthew chapter 7, it's been page after page of Jesus providing miraculous signs. He's been healing leprosy. He's been healing the deaf. He's been giving sight to the blind. He's healing the demon-possessed. He's restoring withered hands. Remember that story? He's giving life to Jairus' daughter's lifeless body. Another miracle is not going to change their mind. Pharisees were asking for another miraculous sign, but had no desire in seeking the Jesus, the Messiah, 
And another miracle wasn't going to change that, verse 39. But Jesus replied, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus here is referring to a story in the Old Testament, the story of Jonah. It's an interesting story. If you grew up in church, you still remember the flannel graphs, the big well on the flannel graph and how it swallowed Jonah, right? But Jesus here is not so much interested in going back over an Old Testament story with him. He's just comparing that just as Jonah was in the belly for three days and three nights, Jesus would be in the ground for three days and three nights. But here he is speaking about not just his death, but there's going to be a resurrection. Verse 41, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. That doesn't mean anything to us. That would be pretty offensive to the crowd Jesus was speaking to. The Ninevites are going to stand against us. Uh Uh-uh. We're way better people than them. Jesus says, the people of Nineveh, Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now, someone greater than Jonah is here, standing right here but you refuse to repent. You see, in Jonah's day, you can read this story. It's in the Old Testament under Jonah. (laughs) But Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And here's what we need to know. Um, This city was as evil as it was powerful. They did some evil things. They ruined a lot of lives. They killed a lot of people. No mercy. God called Jonah to go preach. Could you imagine that? God called Jonah. Jonah, Jonah's life had been turned upside down by these Ninevites. It's probably what what Jonah would call them. And God said, go. And Jonah said, no. And then God changed Jonah's mind for this story. And he shows up in Nineveh preaching and the city begins, Jonah doesn't, he's, he's hoping he can preach and nobody repents. He doesn't want any of these pagans in heaven with him. None of them deserve heaven. They all deserve hell. They've, they've ruined our lives. It's ironic that Jonah preached hoping that Nineveh wouldn't repent, and they did. But Jesus is preaching repentance here, desiring repentance, and they won't. And then he goes on, he gives another story, verse 42, the queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. It just gets worse, right? Uh, For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. So here's Jesus giving another reference of an Old Testament story. The time that this queen came, she heard about the fame of Solomon and Solomon's God, and she really went there to disprove it. She really went there to silence it. And she went there and she ended up being amazed by it. So she traveled this great distance to meet. You can read this whole story in 1 Kings 10, so I won't go over it. But the idea here is that it's actually even worse than the Ninevites because you know the culture of Jesus' day, right? 
non-Jewish people were not important people and women were not very important people in the culture. (laughs) And Jesus here says, hey, not only a non-Jewish, but it's gonna be a woman that's gonna stand on the day of judgment and condemn you. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh. And Jesus goes, "Uh uh-huh. You think they're pagans. You don't think they deserve God. And yet they've heard, they've heard of the fame and their hearts have been changed. And yet you, I'm standing amongst my own people. One greater than Solomon is here and you won't even hear my words. That's what's going on. And then Jesus continues, verse 43. It's almost like he switches directions here. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest, but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit says, whoa, this is a pretty cool place to hang out. So he goes and gets some of his other brother demon friends. And they all enter the person and they all live there. And so the person is worse off than he was before. That will be the experience, Jesus says, of this evil generation. See, Jesus is describing the the attitude of the nation of Israel and its religious leaders in particular here, just cleaning up one's life without filling it with God leaves plenty of room for Satan to do his work. Ridding our lives of sin only works when filling our lives with God's spirit. Unfilled people are just easy targets. More on that in a moment. Verse 46. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother, your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And Jesus said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to the disciples and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What? Now here's what, I just a little bit of commentary and then we'll begin to unpack this scripture. Jesus was not denying his responsibility to his earthly family in this story. On the contrary, he elsewhere criticized the religious leaders for not following the Old Testament command of honoring your father and your mother. Jesus wasn't dishonoring here. You'll see this in other passages. Jesus Hanging on the cross, Jesus was making plans for his mother's security in his absence. Uh, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, we, we find out that it's his family, his mother and his brothers are in the upper room. So it's not like he's like, no, I've started my ministry. I'm done with you. That's, that's not what's happening here. Instead, Jesus was pointing out, this is what he's pointing, this is so important. Jesus was pointing out that spiritual relationships are as binding as physical relationships. That your spiritual family is just as important as your physical family. And in my experience, we're even closer to our spiritual family in some cases than we are some of our physical family. So from our text, I see, I think I see four necessary steps, requirements, however you want to say it, that, that get us across the line. For those of us standing, just kind of leaning in, we're, we're wondering if Jesus, could it be that Jesus, 
I think there's, there's four things here, and these are not step one, step two, step... I, these all kind of happen simultaneously. They just happen at the same time, but, but I think it's important that we hear how they're distinctive in some ways because I want us to understand how we're saved. In case there's anybody here today that's like, how must I be saved? Or maybe you're confused about salvation. I think Jesus gives us a pretty clear picture here in our text today. So I pray that if there's anybody leaning in, today is the day, yeah, just step over the line. The first thing we see... um, is this, that you have to believe by faith that Jesus is who he says he is. You have to believe by faith that Jesus is who he says he is. Listen, you can look at all of the fulfilled prophecies, and there's many. Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies, speaking of the one that was to come. Jesus performed many miracles miraculous signs. He declared many times on his, uh, in his ministry that he was indeed from God and was God. And oh, by the way, there is an empty grave. But at the end of the day, it's not another miraculous sign that will get you across the line. You must step across the line by faith, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he did what he says he did. I have not seen the empty tomb. I have not experienced it for myself. There are eyewitnesses to the empty. There are eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. I'm not one of those 500 but by faith, I have, I have received the resurrected Christ as my Lord and Savior. He didn't come down physically and say, I'm real. I'm here. Let's go. There comes this moment that as you're leaning in, you're just going to have to say, either he is or he isn't. And you're going to feel the, the draw of the Holy Spirit. And you're just going to have to step across by faith, believing that Jesus is the way. How do I know he's, a, Jesus said he was the way. And that he is the truth. In a world that says everything's truth, it's not. Jesus is truth. And I don't have a, I don't have some big debate article I can give you. It's by faith that you have to believe that he is the way, the truth, and he is life. Now, that's a little different because we've experienced life. We've experienced the changed life. Listen, only the wicked keep asking for signs. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we are saved only by grace through faith. There is only one door into the family of God, and it is faith in Jesus Christ. You can't give enough money to the church. You can't serve enough through the church. You can't attend this church enough. There's only one way into the family, and it's through Jesus. If there was another way, there wouldn't have had to be a cross. But there was a cross because he was the only way. The curious come to the line asking, could Jesus be the one? And it's faith that carries us across the line and allows us to boldly declare he is. He is. We are called to live by faith. 
not sight. We don't need to see another sign. We need to believe in the Son. May the Spirit give you faith today to believe in Jesus Christ. So, number one, we have to believe by faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the only begotten Son, Lord, Savior. Number two, you must accept that Jesus is the better through repentance. What do I mean by that? Jesus here in our text was reminding the crowd that he was the better Jonah, and yet they wouldn't repent, that he was the better Solomon, and yet they wouldn't listen to his wisdom. And he's here today to remind us that he is the better than whatever else you are looking to for your salvation. Whatever it is that you think is going to be the solution to your life's problems, Jesus is better. He just is. So to repent, that's a church word, right? To repent is, is really just, it means this, to change, your, to change your mind. It is this idea of turning away from the lesser to embrace the better. Because there is nothing better than Jesus. That is true, and yet we, I'm not even gonna say we, and yet I have to keep reminding myself of that moment by moment because our hearts, my heart, is prone to wander towards lesser counterfeit lords. Repenting is the reminder and the action of letting go of the counterfeits in our lives and embracing the authentic, better Lord and Savior, our only Savior, our only Lord, Jesus Christ. Paul, or Peter says in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So whatever you're calling on this morning, if it ain't Jesus, it ain't got it. Jesus is better. And today, by faith, we're asking you to cross a line and experience the better. Amen? Number three, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us the... I like this statement. Jesus, in our text, tells us the only ones impressed with how empty and clean and organized your life is, are the demons. Verse 6 says, we are all infected and impure with sin. No matter how you dress sin up, it's still sin. No matter how much perfume you put on your sin this morning, it still stinks like sin. You might fool us, but the fragrance that reaches the throne of God is the stench of wickedness. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. You see, we like to display our best, don't we? But in the eyes of a holy God, our best is still sin. You can't empty yourself enough of sin to be pleasing to God. 
and you can't clean yourself up enough to be pleasing to God. There is no replacement for the spirit of God in your life. It is the spirit of God. It is the spirit of God. It is only the spirit of God that makes us right in the eyes of our God. How can unholy people stand and sing and be pleasing to a holy God? Well, it's not because we're good singers. And it's not because we sound good corporately. And it's not because you made the effort to be here this morning. If our worship was pleasing to our father this morning, it's because he looked down and he saw his son. He saw the spirit, his spirit living in his children. And we are accepted because we have embraced and we have been filled by the Holy Spirit of God. It is Jesus who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Peter says, each of you in Acts 2, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I was doing some reading on Holy Spirit last night. Um, Francis Chan in his book, Forgotten God, he talks about how Holy Spirit's kind of the, that weird uncle that nobody really wants to talk about because you know, uh, they kind of put him at the kids' table at, at the holidays because he just sometimes does some weird things and it kind of freaks everybody out. And they're like, we don't really know what to do with Uncle Bill, right? And, uh, and so sometimes we just don't fully understand the Holy Spirit and like he might, somebody might shout or something, like, you know, somebody might run. We've never had a runner here, but it's happened. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? Like, I don't know what's going on here. And, and like, let's just, let's, let's, let's tamper that down a little bit. That's a little out of our comfort zones. But I loved reading about the Holy Spirit last night because I was reminded in all of these texts, it's, it's the Spirit of God that seals us to the day that God comes back for his children. Hey, it's the Spirit of God that, that, first of all, draws us to God. It's the Spirit of God that has, we, we're just, these are just words that we're reading today if it isn't the Spirit of God that reminds us of who it is. We always talk about we want to know who Jesus is and we want to know what he's done. It's the spirit. It's in those moments that we're reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done. It's the spirit of God that's doing that in us. Isn't that amazing? There is no neutrality here. There is God and there is evil. We are filled with one or we are filled with the other. We're either filled with the spirit of evil or we're filled with the spirit of God. One saves us, one damns us. We need to be careful of which we choose. The fourth one is this. You must be born again into God's spiritual family. You see how this isn't step one, step two? They're like all kind of at the same time. But I think it's, it's important that we hear this language. It was important for Nicodemus to hear this language from Jesus. He says, you must be born again. You must be born again into God's spiritual family. And Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, it says, anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is, is my brother, is my sister, is my mother. Jesus is identifying his family as those who give and live their lives for God. This story in John 3 between Jesus and Nicodemus, 
the rabbi comes and he says, uh, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus goes, no, 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 he's not just with me. He's here. <laughs> and, and Jesus, through this dialogue, Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus responds like we would if that was us. He goes, what, how can I, as an old man, go back into my mama's belly and be reborn? That makes no sense. And Jesus says, no, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, physical birth, and the spirit, spiritual birth. Humans can reproduce only human life, Jesus says, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. The only way into the family of God for us is through Christ, right? It's the only way in. Paul, I love in Galatians, he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body still, but I'm doing so by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's talking about even though it's my same life, it's, it's been reborn spiritually. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ that lives in me. And here in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate some rebirths around here with baptism. And it's going to be glorious. I think we have at least six, seven, maybe eight people that's wanting to be baptized. Listen, baptism is the celebration of new life in Jesus. Baptism is a celebration of people who leaned in and they're like, I'm in. They cross the line and they come to realize that Jesus is who he says he is. And by faith, they receive him. And by faith, they receive the spirit and they are reborn and they get into the water. We don't, we don't teach around here that baptism saves you. Salvation, or baptism, is just a sign of what's already happened spiritually in you. You go down into the water. It represents your old life dying and being buried with Christ. And you come out of the water representing new life in Christ. Down with the old, up with the new. That's why we say that, by the way, if you've ever been confused. <laughs> we take them down, down with the old, up with the new, and we celebrate because it's a sign of new life. Someone has crossed the line by faith, receive Jesus by faith, been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of us. I love it. And by the way, we would love to add others to that baptism list. If you're here and you find yourself, again, you're asking right now, is it possible that that Jesus is the one? Is he the hope that I've been looking for? I've been looking for it and everything else, but could it be that Jesus is the one? I'm here, we're here to assure you, he is, he is. He loves you and he's given his life up. He's given himself as a sacrifice for you so that you can not just have the benefit of leaning in, but that he can draw you across the line and embrace you as son and daughter. We would love for you to join the family of God today. We think it would be really, really bad news if there's anybody here today that's not a part of the family and you leave without joining the family. This is, this is every time you come in this place, it's an invitation to become a part of the family of God. And so we're going to end today with communion like we have been ending 
In fact, Mitch, would you go back and um, they're going to hand you some trays. We have the trays out. They're not out up here like they usually are. Mitch, would you grab one? David, would you grab one? Uh, where's, where's, yeah, thank you, sir. Jim, would you, is, how many are there? Have a third one? Jim, would you mind grabbing that? One of the gems, yep, great. Uh, just come on up here. Uh, Mitch, David, you come on up. Um, you kind of stand back there in the corner. Mike, can you grab that one right there? Okay, and this can be a little different today. I'm just gonna, if it's all right, if you guys just stand there and hold that and, and they can come receive it from you. We've been ending our service with communion because we believe it's a beautiful way to respond to the message. Jesus said, as often as you do this, and at that time he was sitting at the table with his disciples, right? It's almost as if Jesus said, hey, as often as you gather at the table to break bread and pass the cup, I want you to remember what I'm about to do for you. And then he goes on to explain the, the, the bread broken, right, is, is his body that is about to be broken. For, for all of that guilt and shame that we experience when we sin, Jesus says, my body's going to be broken because of that guilt and that shame. The consequences of your sins that, that we, man, they're so heavy. Those consequences lay so heavy on us. And Jesus said, I want you to remember that this body, this bread broken is my body saying, I'll take that weight. I'll take the weight of your sin. I'll take the shame and I'll take the guilt and I will let them beat me to a pulp for your sin. And then he takes the cup and he passes it around to the, through the table and he says, this cup represents this new covenant, new blood, my blood, that as often as you take of this cup, as you take and you drink of this wine, you remember that it's my blood that had to be shed for the remission of your sins. There's no other way in. That's what Jesus was saying at the table that day. There's no other way in except my broken body and my shed blood on your behalf. So Jesus at that table was saying, listen, Because of your sin, you know what you deserve? You deserve a broken body. You know what you deserve? You deserve death. You deserve your blood shed, but I'm becoming a substitute. I am standing in your place, and I am taking God's wrath for your sin. Now, that seems something worthy that we should probably do more than once or twice a year like we have been doing. In fact, we're starting to do it just about weekly. How do you respond to a message of the gospel? With communion. How do you respond to a message on forgiveness? Communion. How do you respond to a message on love? Communion. How do you respond to a message on how to do better with your budget? Communion. (laughs) Because what Jesus has done for us is why we do everything that we do. And I love ending with communion because talking about joining the family of God, you know what communion is? It's just, it's just us coming to the table of God. Jesus' life and death on our behalf has given us a seat at the table. And we get to pull up a chair and we get to eat of his body and drink of his blood and say, thank you, Jesus. We can leave here today knowing we are in the family of God because of what you have done on our behalf. We accept this. 
If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, communion is not ready for you. It's not time for communion. You know what it's time for? We're going to end with a song, and it'd be time for you to just come and maybe stand. We'll have some of our men here, and they will be. They would love, as we end in prayer, they would love to lead you through some, some conversation about how to cross the line of faith. And we would love to celebrate with you that today be the first day of the rest of your life. And we would love to be the first ones to welcome you to the table, to welcome you to the family of God. Amen? We're going to pray. We're going to ask you to get up, go find communion. It's different today, by the way. I'm going to take just a moment to describe this. Um, We finally ran out of the pandemic communion (laughs) where you have to tear it apart. So you're going to pick up this that has two cups. The bread is underneath it, okay? You're going to get two cups. That's not by accident, right? So you're going to get the juice and you're going to get the bread. And here's what I want you to do. We have one, two, we have four stations, Okay, we're going to get a little weird here. It's all right. I want you to go get your communion, and then I want you to group up. Okay, I just want you to group up. Just hang out with us. We're getting ready to sing another song. If you don't want to do communion, just hang out there at your seats for a minute. Um, maybe Mitch, you just get a group over there. Dave, Mike, you and Jim, guys, you guys can get a group back there. If some of you want to just group up right here, I want you to do communion together. I want you to thank God for the, the body broken, the blood shed, take communion together. And then we're going to end in worship and declaring that we today are who Jesus says we are through the shed blood and the broken body on the cross. Amen? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for making a way. F- <laughs> it might seem narrow-minded to say there's only one way to God. We should just be dumbfounded that there's any way back to God. We're a rebellious people. We do not deserve you. And yet you've given us not just a way, you've given us the, you gave us your best. You gave us your son, Jesus, the spotless lamb who walked among us, who put up with our stupidity and our wickedness. And he, with patience and grace, allowed our sin to lead him all the way to the cross where he said, Father, forgive them. Even in the end, when we were spitting on him and we were putting nails in his hands and feet and driving a sword through his side, he was still gracious because he knew it was the only way for us to have a way back to the Father. We believe hell is real. It's a real place for real people that we all really deserve. But Jesus has given us a way out and he's given us a life that we can be with him forever in heaven because of what we're about to celebrate through communion. So thank you for giving us a seat at the table. If somebody is leaning in and they are just thinking about crossing that line, God, do not let them leave here this morning without without crossing the line, without believing by faith, without becoming a part of the family. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.